Welcome to the QMC Board and Column, news and thought-provoking discussions for today's emergency medical service provider. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's podcast, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome on this beautiful Tuesday here in March. I say beautiful somewhat sarcastically because uh, Sean and I were just talking here just moments ago. What a challenge it is to be in emergency medical services right now, and for that matter, to be anybody in this crazy world right now. So uh, thank you for those of you that are joining us today. We appreciate it. Uh, obviously, this program was scheduled long before um, all the madness with COVID-19 took place. Uh, I surely hope uh, that everybody that is on today is doing well staying safe and I wish you and your families well also. Uh, so today's topic is uh, difficult conversations and we have a, a great speaker with us today. Sean has been with us before um, but we're glad to have him again. Sean Kukoskis who is the Ambulance Director from Spalding Rehabilitation Network in Boston. Uh, as I mentioned he was with us once before and uh, is here today to talk about difficult conversations with uncomfortable topics. And it's not uncommon as, uh, as leaders of different organizations across the country that we, we get to know our people. That's, that comes with, with the territory. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, friendships evolve. And it's tough to be the boss and be a friend. And it's tough when those, uh, there's a time when you have to have difficult conversations with somebody who you may, in many respects, formed a bond with over the years and takes a special art, a special science. And uh, Sean is going to uh, talk to us today about that. And as we go through today's presentation, if you do have questions, please get out to the bottom of your video screen and click on Q&A. Uh, you can type your question in, or if you wish, there's also a little hand at the bottom of your video screen. If you wish to raise your hand and ask your question aloud to our speaker, uh, we can arrange that as well, too. So uh, we hope you find today's presentation helpful and informative. Uh, we're glad you're here. We're glad. We hope you're safe. And uh, I'll turn this over at this point to Sean. And thanks, Sean, for joining us today. Sean, thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Gary. Thank you for that warm introduction. And I want to echo your thoughts and hope that our colleagues out there are being safe um, and uh, taking all the necessary precautions. You know, these are... <clears throat> challenging times to say the least. Um, up here in Massachusetts, I know we have quite a, uh, uh, an outbreak going on up here. I think we're getting close to 200 patients with the, the COVID virus right now. Um, and between the overflood of information that we're getting from pick a news source um, and, and trying to keep up with, with what's relevant and, and what's not relevant. Um, it, it it does make it quite challenging. And then being an EMS, as you guys know, being on the front lines of this, you know, there's a lot of unknown that we're talking about and facing. And um, you know, I I think that this topic is actually uh, quite timely, um, especially when we have to have difficult conversations with our family at home about what we're saying and what we're doing. And um, you know, are you even going to be allowed into the house after your shift? 
when you get home. Um, so, you know, uh, like I said, I, I think it's quite timely and uh, I thank everybody for taking time out of their day to, to talk to us about it. Um, like Gary said, my name is Sean Kakowskis. I'm the Director of Ambulance Services for the Spalding Rehab Network up here in Boston. I'm also the uh, committee chair for the American Ambulance Association Education Committee. And this was actually a, a session I did at our annual conference last year <coughs> um, with a good friend of mine, Scott Moore. Uh, it, first and foremost, uh, you know, I want you to know that I am not an expert in difficult conversations. Um, I struggle with them just like many of you probably do. Uh, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's in the, the course of routine days, nobody goes out to to look and have difficult conversations. Uh, there's a bunch of different kinds of conversations that we may kind of get into. It could be a polarizing topic. And um, if you if you follow politics at all, that's definitely something that's going on nowadays is some polarizing topics. Uh, you may have to have some sort of embarrassing uh, conversation um, with a colleague about uh, something that's going on. Um, I can remember early into my career as an administrator, um, I think within the first week of taking on a new role as the director of the department, I had to have uh, what I thought was an embarrassing conversation about some hygiene issues with, with an individual. Um, Never having been in that position before, I called my HR friend and said, help, what do I do? How do I have this this discussion um, and what do I do with it? Uh, you know, it could be a neglected issue. You know, a lot of us uh, try to um, sugarcoat challenges that we may have within our agencies or within certain individuals. Uh, it may be somebody who is a friend or it's somebody who you used to work with or work for and now maybe you're their boss. Um, so oftentimes we may not choose, we may elect not to have a conversation with somebody. So now it becomes a neglected issue, but um, these present their own unique challenges. Uh, I know across the industry, there are a lot of people that are, um, make it from the provider ranks up to administrative ranks. And on Monday, you are in the passenger seat with your partner of 10, 15 years. And come Wednesday or Thursday, you're now their immediate supervisor and they're violating a practice or a policy. And now you have to have that discussion with them. Uh, how do you manage that? Uh, how do you, you know, engage that individual in that type of conversation. And we'll get into some of that stuff. Um, this is not gonna be a true deep dive into a ton of it. There is so much literature out there and there's so many different avenues to go with this. Um, we could spend hours and days um, and uh, talking about it. And there's actually lots of classes and courses that you can take on how to have difficult conversations. Uh, so this is just gonna kind of be an introduction to some of the theories and methodologies that are out there. And hopefully you get some stuff out of that. One of the other types of conversations that I hope nobody ever has to have is tough news, um, whether it be with a fellow coworker or with um, a member of your team. Um, God forbid you have to break the news that somebody has passed along or that somebody is leaving because they're critically ill. Uh, how do you have those conversations uh, both in the workplace and at home? You know, um, fortunately, I, I'm not convinced that those are frequent experiences. Uh, I hope to God that they're not. 
Um, but if they are, you know, we have to have uh, a path to follow in order to be able to deliver that. But having difficult conversations is, you know, what I would consider a core competency of anybody who's in a supervisory role. These are what I tend to call halo events or uh, high acuity, low occurrence events. Uh, we don't have to have conversations that are difficult on a frequent basis, at least I hope we don't. Um, as leaders, hopefully we can get to the point of managing our staff before it gets to the need to have to have difficult conversations. Um, conversations, like I said, you know, you may never have thought you would ever have to speak to somebody about a particular issue, um, but it surprises me the types of conversations that I've had um, over my years as an administrator uh, of an ambulance service. Uh, it's surprising the things that come up. Uh, they can be exceedingly embarrassing. They can be exceedingly personal. Uh, personal. Uh, but as as leaders in the industry, you know, we need to make sure that we're moving our agencies forward and that we're able to provide solid care to our patients um, and service our contracts, you know, uh, to the best of our ability with high quality care. And if there's an issue that's getting in the way of a provider being able to deliver that, then we it is our responsibility to be able to step up and uh, hopefully kind of correct that before um, it gets to be uh, an even bigger issue. You know, there's six different types of conversations that, that we may kind of get involved in uh, as a leader. Uh, one of them is, like I said, having bad news. Uh, it could be uh, you're being terminated or I'm, I have to write you up for something. Uh, or maybe one where it's another supervisor where you think that they're challenging your power or your authority. Or it could be your boss who um, is a bit of a micromanager and is challenging your authority. And how do we manage that? How do you go to your boss who signed your paycheck and say, hey, listen, I, I, I think you're, you're encroaching on my responsibilities here and, and I'd like you to back off a little bit. And how do you have that conversation, um, number one, without getting fired, and number two, without causing um, much distress and, and damaging that relationship that, and that professionalism that you have between you and your boss? There are some conversations where you just really don't want to go there because um, you know how that individual is going to take it. Um, they may be stressed at home. They may have a lot of personal things going on and work is their only outlet. Uh, and you don't want to add more stress to their life, but they're adding stress to yours because of their behavior. Um, other conversations are, you know, you win, I lose. It's, it's my way or the highway. Uh, and that isn't necessarily good for the department as well, uh, or what's going on here, or I'm being attacked, you know, different types of conversations that you may have to have going forward. There's been a lot of research into conflict and conflict management, and one study that I came across uh, shows that on average, managers spend about 2.8 hours a week dealing with conflict. Um, almost three hours a week dealing with some sort of issue. Uh, like all of you, I, um, I know what I could do with an additional three hours of time. Um, it would be nice to have that time, maybe able to sit down and have lunch or make a couple of phone calls that I've been putting off for a long, long time. Um, but it, it is, it's an expensive, timely process dealing with conflict. 
that 2.8 hours a week that we deal with conflict on average works out to be almost $359 billion in workforce costs, whether it be through direct costs because of absenteeism or because of turnover um, or because an agency now decides to uh, go for a union because as a leader, you choose not to have those conversations or you have them in a not so appropriate manner. Now uh, your company is looking to unionize um, or it may get you into some, some litigation and, and get you into court. A uh, couple other things that I, I, I found when I was doing a little bit of research on this was uh, the Society for HR Management uh, did a survey back in 1998. And at that time, uh, the survey showed that about 25% of all employees that were surveyed reported being treated rudely at work at least one time a week. 25%, one out of four. In 2011, that number went up to 55%. And in 2016, that number went up to 62%. So if, if you don't think that there's conflict in your shops right now, um, I, I, the, the research shows uh, that it, it is at an alarming pace. And of that 62%, it was interesting to note that uh, back in 2016, political views was one of the uh, highest possible causes. And uh, regardless of what your political view is, um, I think that those numbers are probably even higher today um, especially now that we're in a, uh, an election year, um, there are uh, those are things that you need to keep in mind that even though we're not political by nature, those discussions are happening and uh, you know we need to be aware of them and, and kind of mitigate things if things tend to tend to get sour. Some of the other potential causes for for conflict include personality differences. If you're if you've ever spent any time in an ambulance, you're in the front of the truck for hours upon hours, two and a half feet, three feet away from somebody. Uh, to think that your personalities are going to match exactly is uh, um, not true. Uh, spending close to 20 years in an ambulance, I can tell you that I did not always get along with my partners and uh, personalities did tend to clash. Uh, oftentimes they found that I had an irritating behavior or they had an irritating behavior. Um, and after 10 hours in a truck or 12 hours in a truck, or after you've been up for 23 hours, those irritating behaviors, tapping your pen against the window, really get to you. Um, there may be perceived inequalities of resources. You know, you may get all the overtime and your partner doesn't, but your partner is struggling uh, to make ends meet, but you're grabbing all the overtime. Uh, the roles may be unclarified. You're not sure what you're supposed to be doing. You're not sure what your partner's supposed to be doing. Um, if you work in, in an office area, the, the roles aren't defined, so nobody knows what they're doing. That leads to stress. That leads to conflict. That leads to confrontations. Um, competing job duties, where you have the, uh, the pet of the department or the boss's friend who is the unofficial supervisor and is providing supervisory roles over you without that authority, um, those tend to, to be areas of conflict as well. Um, as I'm sure some of you are feeling, there's a slowdown um, in volume, at least I know I'm experiencing it here. Uh, we're seeing about a 65, 70% reduction in volume just today. 
Um, so that has the potential for causing some conflict um, and stress uh, change, uh, changing an organization, trying to change an organization, um, or mismanaging existing change. Uh, poor communication skills, um, making uh, remarks or snide remarks or comments that are taken out of context, uh, and just general differences in, in human beings and human behavior, um, difference between work ethics, difference between uh, gender, um, gender, genders and ages, and um, someone's upbringing. There's a lot of discussion going on out there about uh, the different um, uh, between millennials and the other types of individuals that are out there and how do we as leaders kind of engage them and keep them engaged uh, and not have the rest of the team um, pick on the poor millennials because that's what we tend to do nowadays is <laughs> pick on the poor millennials. Any questions so far? John, we did have one question. This, sure. this came from Virginia. Um, I'm Hi, Virginia. I'm paraphrasing here. So um, when you're having a difficult conversation, where is the line between when you involve HR and when you have the conversation one-on-one -on -one with the employee? Great question. Um, <clears throat> so my experience is it depends on a couple of factors. It depends upon your comfort level with having that difficult conversation, um, what the topic is, um, if it's something personal in nature that may not necessarily need HR involvement right away. It is uh, something that you can consider. Depends upon um, what your company policies, policies are. I am very fortunate that in my organization, um, I don't have to engage human resources in every single conversation that I have out of, um, out of courtesy and because of my relationship with our HR team, they're usually involved. So they know that um, we're having this conversation. And one of the things that I, I try to profess with our, with our team about our HR team is the HR department is not just the uh, policing agency for leadership. They are a resource for the staff um, so we often engage human resources so the team member understands that they have resources outside of you as the leader that they can go to for assistance and guidance. I think that's key. Um, I know right now there's a lot of angst when it comes to human resources. They're often seen as the partner in crime with leadership sometimes, and uh, that's not what we want to portray of our HR friends and colleagues. Um, they are a, a phenomenal resource, um, and I would engage them often as much as possible uh, to the extent that they need to be. And again, you know, you can use your company's policies and procedures to help guide that. Um, but getting them involved for guidance doesn't mean that, that there's going to be any sort of uh, uh, punishment handed down. They are a great resource. They are much more versed in having difficult conversations than I am, um, and that some of them are. So I, I engage my team frequently and often. 
Great. Great question. I've got one more for you, Sean, if you're up for it. Absolutely. So we're going to head to the Pacific Northwest in the great state of Washington. I think I know who this client is. Um, they're asking, they said, back to your comment earlier about personal hygiene. This is actually, <laughs> how did you manage that? Because I'm having one of those conversations tomorrow. That's, that's how the question reads. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, they're it, tough. It, it, they are very tough. Um, I don't think the ink on my door sign had dried when I had to have that conversation. Um, it was definitely unique. I called my HRT, uh, my HR manager, and said, "Help! How do I do this?" Um, and we'll we'll talk about some of some of the ways to have these conversations in a little bit. Okay. But you have to be direct and say, "Hey, listen, you know." Um, I've gotten some phone calls and, you know, in this particular case, the individual had some body odor issues. And I said, uh, listen, man, I'm getting some phone calls. People are saying you smell. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's coming not from just your partners, but it's coming from patients. And, you know, we have a lot of patients, you know, being a rehab hospital, we have a lot of patients that are, um, that have respiratory challenges and, you know, it's beginning to affect your ability to provide care. Uh, you know, what can we do? You know, is there something going on? How can we support you? You know, um, and we'll talk about it in a little bit is we think we know what the facts of the situation are, uh, but in most cases we're often wrong. Um, what we see is our side, our view of the facts. Um, so having that conversation with them can be difficult, but you have to, you have to start, and often that's the, the hardest part is uh, the five minutes as you're waiting for them to come into the office. And then once you start, it kind of tends to flow naturally and, and you know, just be open and honest about it. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've actually had similar conversations with employees from a past life, Sean. And even when you try to explain it now, I, I still feel awkward with it. It's just, it's, and this was years ago, but it's it's hard to explain. It's hard to address, and it is surely hard to talk about as well, even post post incident. So, um, good luck to to you out there in in the in Washington, and hopefully everything will go okay. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck in Washington. There. I hope you guys are being safe. Uh, so jumping back in, you know, as we're getting ready or as we're engaged in the conversation, you, you want to begin to kind of walk through the conversation in your head. Um, very, unless it's something critical, uh, you don't want to jump into a conversation unprepared. Uh, you want to understand what happened, both from, from the individual's perspective uh, from the complainant's perspective, if you're following up on a complaint that you received. So what happened? Uh, try to get down to the nitty gritty detail of who did what to who, um, who said what, what should have happened compared to what, what actually happened, or what do you think happened? Uh, there's conversations that you have to have about the facts. What facts are absolutely undisputed um, once you understand what facts are undisputed, you can kind of put them off to the side and come back to them later. Um, if both sides or if that individual agrees, yeah, I said X and I said I did B, you know, then you can put those off to the side and come back to them. 
and you can focus on the facts that are disputed. So what didn't they say or what did they say didn't really happen? Uh, trying to get to who was right and who was wrong. Um, whether it's you having a conversation with uh, a peer or whatnot, or maybe even with your spouse, how often do we get into these arguments of I'm right, nope, you're wrong, and I'm wrong, and you're right? You know, those are different kind of conversations that we may tend to get into. Um, when it comes to being right or wrong, you know, oftentimes what you end up finding is your your perception of right or your perception of wrong is based upon the facts as you know them, not all the facts, but on the facts as you know them. And that's kind of an important consideration to keep in mind is, do you have all the facts? What other information does that individual have that you don't have? Because um, oftentimes there's additional information that you don't have that you're forming your opinion about. We're gonna talk about perceptions in a little bit. Um, perceptions, at least for me personally, is a uh, huge, huge, challenge and it's a huge red flag and it's something that I'm trying to be very, very cognizant of. If you were at my last presentation a couple months ago, we spoke about perceptions when it comes to data management and how do you look at data. Um, and even though your numbers from a data perspective may look good, once you look beyond that specific data point, um, you may not be doing so good. And we're going to talk about perceptions because I think they're important. And then we're going to talk about truth. We're going to talk about intentions. You know, um, trying to disentangle intent from impact, we often tend to combine the two. Um, when somebody does something and they violate a policy, we often think that they intended to violate a policy. And oftentimes that's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes it was a judgment call or oftentimes um, it was because we didn't teach that individual what the specific policy was and how to be successful at meeting the policy. So trying to disentangle intent from impact. Uh, we, we assume intent is based upon their impact to us. So if that, if individual's actions was uh, distressing to me, I tend to, we will tend to base their intent upon the severity of that impact to us. And we need to kind of break that down a little bit. There's also a difference between distinguishing blame from contribution. When we blame someone, um, we're judging them and that's, it's a retrospective look back. Uh, but when we look at their contribution, it's an understanding of their actions and it looks forward. Um, it's a very, very different methodology looking at blame versus looking at contribution. Um, I may not, you know, you may not be to blame for this incident or for this situation, but there is some contribution. And that typically runs both ways, whether it's on the individual sitting across from you at your desk or from you as a leader as well. Uh, and distinguishing blame and contribution and, and kind of taking intent away from impact, that's kind of what this whole just culture theory is about. Um, rather than saying you violated the policy and you're now being written up, we, we need to kind of understand why do they violate the policy and how do they violate that policy and how do we prevent it from happening again? Um, if you haven't looked at Just Cultures for your agencies, I highly suggest you do. It's a fantastic program. Um, take a peek at it if you get a chance. So some of the principles when it comes to having difficult conversations. 
um, when you're having these conversations, it's important to try to preserve both your reputation and the other individual's reputation. Um, you want to try to preserve relationships. You want to make sure that you're being respectful uh, and empathetic when, when needed to be. Um, you know, you may ask yourself, am I being fair and consistent? You know, if this was somebody else coming into my office with this issue, how would I treat them? How would I manage this situation? Uh, I can speak from experience when we're not disciplining somebody fairly across the board, it causes major, major issues. So you want to make sure that you're being fair and being consistent. You want to make, you want to make sure that we're not being focused, that we're not focused on being right. We want to get to the root cause. Being right or wrong isn't necessarily what we're looking for. Um, who else was involved? Do I need to call in witnesses? Uh, do we need to document the conversation or, or other legal um, avenues, depending upon what the situation is? Um, we had a, a termination recently where um, it was not the prettiest of terminations, unfortunately, as they sometimes go. So that was something that we, we really had to consider is how do we cover ourselves um, when it comes to those conversations and did we need to have witnesses in the room? Um, you wanna stay focused on preserving that relationship. It is possible to convey difficult messages um, while you're treating that patient with dignity, dignity and respect. Uh, the last thing you wanna do is damage that relationship because if you do, you shut down any future opportunity for collaboration. Um, you shut down any opportunity for innovation. Uh, and you shut down really any possibility of having a meaningful relationship with that individual going forward. Um, yeah, you, you can shut them down. You can shut them down quick. When you're having these conversations, you have to go in with an open mind because you may be wrong. Scary thought. We're wrong. Um, you have to go in with an open mind. Again, you may not know all of the things that's going on with this individual um, that may not excuse their behavior, but help explain some of it. Um, often we hear that the unexpected um, that can shift our perspective on, on the events of the day or the events of that discussion. Before you walk into the meeting or before you even call that meeting, you wanna get clear on what you want to say. Again, you want to make sure that you have a game plan, game plan going in. Uh, the last thing you want to do is walk in to a meeting and not know what you want to say or, or what the situation is about. Uh, you want to make sure you schedule a time to discuss the issue. And it, it, to the extent possible, you want to give the person a fair warning. Nobody likes to be caught off guard. Um, try to meet on neutral ground. I can tell you that when I call staff up to see me, they call it the principal's office because they think they're getting in trouble. Um, and that's not always the case. So you want to try to meet on neutral ground. Uh, be collaborative. You don't want to be the, author the authoritarian. Uh, you don't want to stand upon any desk yelling and screaming. And when you ask questions, you want to give the individual the uh, time to collect their thoughts. Um, pay attention to their emotions. Pay attention to their body language. It's okay to say, you know what, let's let's table this for, for an hour or so. Let's you go grab a drink of water, go grab something to eat, um, and we'll come revisit this in a little bit. You know. Uh, you want to make sure that you give them time to gather their thoughts. 
and as the conversations get to be more difficult, this becomes even more important. And of course, the the last one is to, to listen actively. Uh, don't be playing around with your watch. Don't be checking your emails. You know, um, pay attention to both your verbal cues and your nonverbal cues. And those are some of the the key principles that we have when we want to have these when we need to have these conversations, and we try to preserve relationships and and be respectful to the other individual as well. And I'm going to stop there real quick to see if you have any questions and get caught up. We're cool. Awesome. All right. So one of the one of the first questions you have to ask is, do you really need to raise the issue? Um, if if I spent all of if I spent time raising every issue that came across my desk, I can tell you I would never get any work done. Um, just today, I think I received six or seven phone calls about um, why is somebody taking my temperature and somebody not taking somebody else's temperature. Um, you know, there are things that definitely we have to be concerned about, but you have to use your experience and you have to use your guidance and you have to use your, um, your noggin there to kind of figure out, do I really need to raise this issue? What do you once you've decided to to raise the issue? What do you hope the outcome is? What's the best case scenario? Um, do you want to correct a behavior? Um, are you looking for a way to? Uh, is this the individual's last discussion, and you need to begin discussing termination? Um, what do you hope the outcome is? What is the win for this? What does a win look like? What are all the possible outcomes? So as you're beginning to, to think about having a conversation, what could happen if this goes horribly wrong? Um, it's, unlikely if you it's unlikely that it will if you handle it appropriately, but you, it, it is entirely possible that the outcome you, you get is the complete opposite of the outcome that you want. So you want to have an idea of what all those possible outcomes are. So you can build a contingency and you have a contingency plan if that outcome was not what you wanted. So if um, the individual from Washington is having the discussion with tomorrow, um, what is your ultimate goal for that? Um, and what are all the possible outcomes that, that may happen when you have your conversation? You want to begin to think about those. Uh, so you can have a plan in place. So if he, if that individual says something or does something, um, you know, you can kind of mitigate that before it gets to be a bigger issue. What's at stake? Is it pride? Is it a policy? Is it a practice? Um, understanding what's at stake is important. Uh, and then identifying what happens if you take action. So if if I say something to this individual about this. This issue, uh, this issue, what happens if I take that action? Um, what will it say about me? What will it say about the department? What will it say about this? Um, will it create uh, a broad stroke across the department that I now have to manage? Um, just understand what all those actions are once you have that conversation. Um, and then understand what happens if you don't take that action. Um, Specifically, when you have somebody who is 
maybe a little bit challenging or is continually violating policy or practice or something is just not right, what happens if you don't take that action and, and what does that set up for you and your department? So how do we define what the best strategy is to get the results or the outcome that we want? Uh, one of the things we have to do is we have to understand what our perceptions of are of the issue. Are they similar um, to what the individual has? Are they different? Um, recognizing what is undisputed. So what are the facts of the case or what are the facts of the situation that um, we can say, I agree to this, this is what happened, okay, let's talk about the other stuff that is, that is disputed. Um, highlight where you share perceptions, um, when the perceptions that you share are similar, pointing out where the stories are similar, um, again, taking those undisputed perceptions or, or those undisputed facts out of the case uh, is really, really helpful. And then for the perceptions that are not shared or for the, the facts of the case that are disputed, address them individually. Dive deep into each one of them and, and kind of talk about them from, from the other individual's shoes. When I talk about perceptions, this is absolutely one of my favorite pictures. Um, I use this a lot when I talk, I use this a lot when I teach, but it really drives home what perceptions do for us. Uh, which one of these individuals is wrong? Simple question. They're both right. It's a matter of perception. It's, it's a matter of how you see the situation. Um, when I talk about data, one of the things that I talk about is your on-time performance is 95%. Your contractual performance needs to be 90%. So you're, you're hitting it out of the park. You're making your on-time performance 95% of the time. You guys are superstars. You're not a superstar to that 5% where you're late for. It's a matter of perception. Um, and the same thing goes with difficult conversations, but the same thing goes when you're trying to get to the root cause of everything. What is the real issue? Because oftentimes it's not what you think it is. It may end up not being what either of you came to discuss. Um, you may find that the individual, and I'm gonna use our friend up in Washington who's gonna have a conversation tomorrow. Um, you may find that he's been, uh, they've, they've recently been divorced. Um, they're now living out of their car and they don't have access to, sh to shower facilities. Um, or it may be that they, they shut their hot water off because they can't pay a bill. So oftentimes the issue that you're discussing isn't the real issue involved. Um, and as leaders, it is our responsibility to get to that real issue and not just talk about how it impacts me. It impacts me because you have, hygiene, uh, have a hygiene issue. I want to help you get beyond that, so let's get to that real issue. Break down the stated issue into the component parts. You know, it's a battle of messages. It's us shifting it to a learning conversation. You know, rather than saying, I'm right and here's why I'm right, we want to talk about exploring each other's stories and how do we, how do we each see the situation. Here's how I see the situation, and then you allow the other individual to express how they see that, that situation. 
Um, it's important to remember that you each have access to different information, and that different information helps to form your perception of that particular event or of that particular situation. Uh, we often choose to believe which information we want to hear. Um, I know I get accused of that by my wife all the time. <laughs> uh, I think like a lot of people do. Um, but we choose which information to believe and we choose which information that we want to hear. Um, and when we're trying to get to the real issue, it's important that we hear all of it. And we have different, in, different interpretations of that information. Our interpretations are based upon past experiences. Uh, they're um, how we apply rules differently because uh, we don't always apply rules the same way. And other, you know, our conclusions reflect our own self-interest often. You know, um, our assumptions on intent are often wrong. You intended to violate that policy. Uh, my friend from many, many years ago intended to come to work smelling. Um, not necessarily the case, you know. We are aware of what my intentions are or what our own intentions are. Um, and we are aware of the other person's impact on me. And it's important to remember that, you know, so I know how I feel and I know what my intentions are. But what I don't know is I don't know your intent. I don't know that other individual's intent. And that other individual doesn't know their impact on me. And I don't know my impact on that other individual. And those are, those are key elements to, to begin to understand and talk about as you're trying to get to that real issue. And we're going to stop there for a second. Any questions? Yes, John. Uh, one, this comes from uh, cold and blustery Florida, where we all wish we probably are right now, uh, we're right now. So uh, I guess some of these questions seem to be getting down in the weeds a little bit. So, Sean, um, I, uh, I appreciate you taking will, the time to answer them. I so, will do my best. All right. Uh, this question evolves around an individual who is a good paramedic, excellent field care, but does nothing but talk about his personal life at work to the point that he's alienated himself and people don't want to work with him. Uh, supervisor notes they've had two conversations with them they find no problem with the, his care in the field is just after the fact how would you address that good luck with that one sean glad you joined us today right <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly enough um i think that's something that we in the that many leaders can relate to and i know i certainly can <coughs> Excuse me, I don't have Corona. I, I, I just had to take a sip of water. That's all right. Um, <laughs> when we look at EMS today, and I'll speak from an EMS perspective, I'm gonna jump on my soapbox for a couple of minutes, so please forgive me. Being an EMS provider today is much more than just your clinical ability. Um, I learned that really quick when I became an administrator. Uh, to the point that I actually called my old boss and apologized for all the little things that I did to annoy him over the years. <laughs> um, because it impacts our ability to, to effectively lead a team to provide care. Um, so because 
an individual is uh, a superstar as a paramedic, that's only one part of their role. Uh, their other roles include um, making sure that they document appropriately to, to keep us out of legal trouble. Um, and so Gary and his team can, can bill appropriately so we can get the revenue into our agencies to continue to provide service. Um, we want to avoid lawsuits. We want to avoid being on the six o'clock news, you know, um, and those, those things go much further than good clinical care. Um, and often we tend to excuse away bad behavior because somebody is a good provider. Exactly. Um, you know, so being a good provider is just one component of their job. Um, and as a leader, uh, and I had to deal with this very recently, um, that's just one part of it. And if you want to be successful in my, in, in, in this organization, you have to be able to be successful with all parts of it. Um, so it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, I, I would have a conversation with human resources. This is a, a time where I would engage human resources to see how you can um, first identify why he's, why that individual is doing that. Um, again, get to the real issue. You know, um, there may be stuff going on that, that he may need some EAP assistance for. Uh, I refer many, many people to EAP programs uh, because I think they are a valuable tool. Um, you know, and it, it, they're, they're just a great, great resource. Um, you know, so if you have an EAP, EAP program, that, that's one avenue. Um, but you have to figure out why this individual who is a great paramedic by, you know, by one account is not so great in this avenue. Um, and it's, it's not an easy road to get down. It may take a little while, um, but you know, you can leverage somebody who has a relationship with that individual um, to try to, to get them in and kind of get it under control a little bit. That's a tough question because um, as uh, across the United States, one of the big, big issues out there, of course, is employee retention. So when you get a great yep. care provider, you surely want to hang on to them, but like everything, it has limitations. And, you know, as you mentioned, Sean, good point. Sometimes, you know, you have to look at the entire individual, not just the part of him or her that delivers the great care. There's the other side too. And, uh, you know, you, you try to get a well-rounded individual, but uh, you just can't look at the care side like you mentioned. Right. And, you know, um, for our colleague in Florida, you know, how, how much time, how much energy and time is, that one aspect of him of of, of your uh, your employee taken up of yours, you know, um, and that's not fair to the rest of your team, sure. you know. Um, so that's something that needs to be considered as well. Thank you for that. Sure. Any others? Nope, that's it for the moment. Cool. All right. How how people are finding this helpful? Um, I think so, Sean. But, I think by the questions, I think they're fine. They were, I think they were actually anxious to get on here and ask these questions today. So these are um, hard questions. Yes, they are. <laughs> these are hard questions. Um, listening to understand, you know, I, I could sit here and probably talk about 
dozens and dozens of ways that we need to maintain active listening. Um, I'm sure some of you could recite more books than I can about active listening. Um, but really, you know, it, there's only a few things you gotta kind of have to work, think about when you're listening to understand. You know, you want to face the speaker. You want to maintain eye contact. You you want to make sure that they have your attention and that you have theirs. Uh, if the conversation begins to get, you know, off topic, stare back on the topic. Um, that that is what you need to do. You need to be attentive and you need to be relaxed. Uh, probably, you know, for my part, the biggest thing is keep an open mind. Uh, chances are you've already formed an opinion going into it. Um, it's okay to recognize that. Uh, listen to it, but you have to keep an open mind. Again, remember, your opinion is based upon the facts that you know, but you don't know all the facts more often than not. Um, so you have to keep going with an open mind to see kind of what else you listen, what else you hear. Listen to the words what, uh, that the speaker is trying to say, and then try to picture what they're trying to say as well. You know, um, don't interrupt them and don't oppose your solutions. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm sure many of us have kind of had that discussion where you're explaining something and then somebody, uh, the person you're speaking to kind of tells you how to fix everything or how they would fix it. Um, that's great. I haven't gotten everything off my chest yet that I needed to say. Uh, and this can be really important when you're talking to a peer-to-peer uh, -peer colleague or maybe even your boss about that raise, um, you know, or when somebody's talking to you about a raise. You know, if, if you're interrupting your boss, then, you know, I would be careful with that. Uh, wait for the speaker to pause. Ask clarifying questions. If you don't understand what they're saying, um, Ask them, say, hold up, back up a second. You know, I didn't understand what you just said about, or what I'm hearing you say is this, but I'm not quite sure that's really what you meant. Can you kind of explain it to me a little bit more? Um, ask questions only to ensure understanding. You, when they're talking to you, you, this isn't the interrogation part. It, this is them speaking to you. So you wanna make sure that you're asking questions only to ensure they're understanding. Try to feel what the speaker is feeling. Um, you know, just as nervous as you are to have that conversation, they're nervous talking to you. Um, and as things come out of their mouth and as they're saying things, you have to kind of give that to them as well. Um, I know when I'm nervous, you know, I often stutter or say things that I don't necessarily mean and kind of back up a little bit. Um, you have to allow your speaker to do that as well. And you want to give them regular feedback. You know, um, if they're telling you something, you know, you can say something like, uh, you must be thrilled, or my God, what a terrible ordeal for you, you know, or I can see that you're confused. Um, even the the quiet, you know, facial expressions or the, uh-huh, yeah, I get that. I've been there, man. I, I, I hear you. Um, tends to go a long way and, and lets the speaker know that you're listening to them. You know, you don't have to engage in a conversation when they're speaking to you, just let them speak. Pay attention to what isn't said. You pay attention to those nonverbal cues. Um, do you hear a, a little bit of laughter in their voice? Do you, um, 
do you see their tone and cadence change when they get onto specific topics? Those are things you want to pay attention to because as you're trying to get to the deeper root of the issue, um, those are things you can circle back on. And at the very end, you want to summarize everything. You know, So this is what I heard you say. You had said this. This is what I kind of heard you say. You want to make sure that you summarize. Um, that way, you're relaying to them that, yeah, I heard you, and this is what I heard you say. So now as you begin to talk about what the next steps are or where we're going to go from here, um, you're kind of both on the same page. Whenever you're having difficult conversations, um, you often walk into the room with feelings. Um, and you have to acknowledge those. You know, uh, there's been cases where I couldn't wait to get into the conversation because I was going to let them have it. Um, and there's been cases where I was kicking and screaming not to go into it, the conversation because I didn't want to have that conversation. You know, um, acknowledging your acknowledging your feelings is not a bad thing. You know, you never want to tell somebody that they're wrong for feeling a particular way. Our feelings are our feelings. We have to feel them. Um, if any of us have kids, if any of you have kids, you know, trying to tell them that they shouldn't feel a specific way, you know, really isn't cool. And, and it's, it's not a great idea. It's okay to share the story of how they impacted you. How did their action impact you? Sorry about that. Um, how did their, their action impact you? So for our friend down in Florida, I'll leave Washington alone a little bit. Um, <laughs> how does this individual's actions impact your routine or impact your ability to do your job or impact um, the rest of the team and the rest of the department. Uh, I believe you said that uh, he is now alienated himself. So, you know, how does that affect the workplace? And it's okay to share that impact. Um, what's not okay is to blame him for the impact, but you can definitely share that impact uh, and then talk about what, you know, what his contribution to that was. Don't walk into uh, a discussion and pretend you don't have a theory. We all do. We walk in with the preconceived notion of what happened more often than not. As much as we try to go in with an open mind, we have a thought in mind. Um, and pretending that we don't, you know, um, number one, it's garbage. We usually do. Uh, and if somebody says to me, you know, I, I want to hear your side. I haven't made up my mind yet. And I'm like, yeah, you really have, you know. Now it's up to me to try to change that. Um, and then you want to listen for feelings. You want to listen to the tone of their voice. You want to listen to the inflections of the words that they're saying. You want to listen to the words that they choose. Uh, are there key words that you want to kind of pick up on that, that, that goes to reflect uh, a deeper issue um, than what you may think? When we summarize, we, uh, the, uh, the summary at the end of discussion shows that we comprehend what they say. It shows that we've been listening um, for issues that are not really related to discipline. Um, if somebody is coming in and they have a bad day, 
for our friend down in Florida who um, has alienated the rest of his team. Um, summarize, you know, understanding why he says what he says um, can help us understand why and then develop a plan going forward on how to kind of correct that. Um, we don't want to make statements disguised as questions. We don't want to use questions to cross-examine. Um, this is a really great one. You know, you don't want to say uh, in the middle of the conversation, well, you know, well, you have to agree that I was right. Or you, you have to agree that, you know, you were more at fault than I was. Um, not really cool, not really getting to the heart of the issue and kind of not really solving problems. Um, you're automatically putting that individual back on defense. Uh, and the goal when you're having these conversations is for both of both people or everybody involved um, to be relaxed enough uh, in order to have a free-flowing conversation so we can begin to understand what the issue is, get to the real root cause, um, and begin to move forward from there. Acknowledge their feelings. Uh, you know, if... Uh, if somebody runs into your office yelling and screaming because you didn't put Diet Coke in the so in the vending machine, um, may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to them. Um, you know, and it's okay to acknowledge you know something along the lines of you know that really seems important to you. That I was not aware of that. You know, we can we can correct that. We can make that happen. So lots of times when individuals act out. Um, it's because they want somebody to acknowledge them. They, they want that recognition. They, they want someone to say, hey, are you okay? You know, um, so understanding what their feelings are and understanding what your own feelings are. How do you feel about this? You know, um, this EMS is one of those industries where we often promote from within. Um, so as, as I said earlier, you know, on Monday, you're sitting in the truck with Joe, and then on Thursday, you now have to discipline Joe because of an issue that he's had. Um, there's definitely emotion and emotions involved. Uh, and if you each don't acknowledge your own feelings and your own emotions and each other's feelings and emotions, um, you're going to destroy that relationship going forward. Uh, and that's not ideal for either, either of you. And before you begin to move to, before you can begin to problem solve, you have to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge those emotions. You have to acknowledge that you understand what the issues are. And until you get to the root cause of that issue, which can be time consuming, it, it can be getting into the weeds. It can be getting into territory that you never thought you were gonna get into. Um, only then can you begin to problem solve. And I'm going to take a break for there. If there's any questions, Gary? Nope. No more questions at the moment. All right, how are we doing for time? Oh, we're doing good. Yep. Doing fine. Good. Okay. So like I said, you know, before you can begin to, to move to problem solving, you have to kind of fully understand what that problem is. Um, for the individual up in Washington, again, you know, we have a problem because his hygiene issues may be causing distress to our patients or to our um, to our staff and, and to our noses. Uh, but what is the real issue going on? You know, um, 
Is he living out of his car? Uh, was he just thrown out of his house? Um, is there, you know, uh, an issue going on that, you know, we may need to look further into? Is there, um, you know, uh, a drug or an alcohol problem that we need to talk about and, and get, some, get some resources mobilized for them, you know? Um, I think one of the things that, that makes us unique is, you know, our ability to pull in numerous resources to help our team members. Um, we have relationships with hospitals and with facilities and just with all these wonderful services. So we can really take care of our staff when they're facing problems on their own. Um, if you look at things such as, you know, uh, provider suicide and whatnot, um, I'd much rather have that difficult discussion with somebody because of a hygiene issue and figure out the root cause um, is something more is, is something more drastic and get to that point where we can help them rather than have that difficult conversation with my team because we didn't pick up on the signs and recognize it. Um, unfortunately, I think that happens far too often, you know. Sadly, you're right. Yeah. Uh, one time I hate being right. Yes, exactly. Um, and what is the win-win? What do we get out of winning? You know, what does a win look like? Um, how do how does the department win? How does how do you as the leader win? Uh, and how does that employee win? How do we maintain their engagement? How do we maintain their enthusiasm for the, the company and for the job uh, and how do we keep them as employees you know uh, across the industry we're seeing a huge shortage of EMTs and paramedics um, we can't afford to lose anybody else so how we handle difficult conversations and how we identify what a win is is can be key to taking that disgruntled unsupportive, um, disengaged employee and kind of turning them around to being, you know, one of your superstars, you know, it's, it's really not hard to do. Um, when we talk about engagement, when we talk about winning, when we talk about um, what a win looks like, you know, I, I often think of uh, staff, you know, as a, big old bucket of barrels. Uh, I'm sorry, big old bucket of apples. I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's laid up here in Massachusetts um, and it's raining. <clears throat> we, uh, you know, you have your bright shiny apples on top because that's who you're going to um, show off to everybody. And then you have the, the rotten apples down at the bottom that nobody's going to see. You know, we have, there's a, a core group of apples right in the middle that we have the ability to really bring to the top. They need a little bit of buff, they need a little bit of polish. If we ignore them or ignore their case or, or don't have conversations with them about how they're doing, what's going on, give them guidance, give them feedback, those, those apples are just gonna sit near the bottom and they're going to rot like everyone else. But if we can polish them up a little bit and get them towards the top, they can be you'd be surprised at, at the transformation that they can have. Um, but it's changing what a win is. It's changing that definition of a win. Is it a win just to get him to, you know, to shower 
for a week? Or is it a win just to get them to a hotel for a week that you pay for? Um, you know, what does that win look like? If you're talking about policies or practices or um, a specific, you know, violation of, of a code that the individual uh, violated, you know, what was that expectation? What was that standard? Um, going back to the theme of just culture, you know, oftentimes we set a policy, we set a standard, we put it in place, but we don't always teach that employee how to be successful at meeting that standard. Um, we may not get, have the tools readily available for them to meet that standard. Um, if the standard is that you, and I'm gonna age myself here, you put a traction splint onto somebody, uh, but you don't have the ankle, you don't have the ankle hitch, um, then how can you hold that person accountable for putting up, for not putting on the traction splint? You know, um, so understanding what those expectations are, um, were they taught to that standard? Were they taught to meet that standard? What tools do they have? So understanding what that expectation is, um, reviewing it with them, understanding what they need in order to be successful. You know, recognizing that not everybody learns the same way. Uh, how I learn is different than how Gary learns, um, you know, I would think. Uh, so understanding how to assist that individual with meeting the expectations that we set. Um, one of the things we don't want to do is lower our expectations, but we do want to give our team the ability to be successful and give them the tools, the education and the training they need in order to be successful. How do we maintain open communication going forward? Um, what avenues do you have? Do you have email? Do you have phone? Do you have cell phones? Do you have a path for, the, for communication? Um, is it saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna call you every Tuesday just to check in and see how things are going. I'm gonna call you after your shift just to check in for the next couple of weeks to make sure that things are going well. Um, you know, here's my, here's my cell phone number. You know, uh, I've had a couple of cases where some individuals were going through some tough times and I said, you know, listen, man, I'd rather get a phone call at three in the morning you know, that you're, you're struggling today, then get a phone call that, um, you know, something happened, yeah. you know, making yourself available or what resources do you have that you can put into play? Um, you know, how can we maintain that open communication going forward? If not with you, then with somebody that they trust. And a couple of rules um, that I have about uh, difficult conversations, you always wanna have conversations in person. Um, you never want to text them. You never want to do a video chat. Um, you want to have them in person. Um, you never want to have them at the end of the shift. Okay. Um, the last thing you want to do is have a conversation at five o'clock in the afternoon, um, and then face traffic. Uh, you want to have the ability to process it. Um, you want to make sure it's private and confidential. Having a difficult conversation in the middle of the cafeteria is not appropriate. Um, maybe even in your office is not appropriate. You know, where is that neutral ground? Where is it available? Um, you typically want to try to have them earlier in the week. Uh, the, I, I make it an effort um, to not have difficult conversations on Friday. 
the latest day in the week that I will do it is a Thursday, and I absolutely despise doing it then, but sometimes that's just the way schedules work out. Because the last thing I want to do is to have this individual uh, be upset for three days as they go home for the weekend. Um, I want to be able to check in on them. I want to be able to say, hey, I know we had a tough day the other day. You know, I just wanted to check in and say hi and see how things are going, you know. Um, sooner rather than later, you know, uh, once you identify that you need to have a conversation, work through your stress, work through your angst to get the conversation done. Um, oftentimes we postpone the conversations because of our own anxiety, uh, but you, you're not doing that individual any justice and you, you're not doing well for the situation um, by postponing it. Don't use the love sandwich. Um, this is my, my good friend Scott Moore's favorite line. Um, don't want to give them a positive, then a negative, then another positive. Um, if you're going to give me some bad news, man, just give me some bad news. You know, don't, don't, don't cover it. Don't smother it. Just, just give it to me. Uh, when we use the love sandwich or when we give positives as well, um, when, we, when we truly want, have something good to say or we want to compliment them, they're now going to wait for that shoe to drop. Make sure you have time. Um, if you if you only have 15 minutes to speak to somebody, it's not a good time to have that conversation. Yeah. You want to be able to to allow them to be able to say what they need to say, um, and for you to be able to see what for you to be able to say what you want to say. You want to ask if it's a good time for them. Um, if they just came off of a really horrible call, it is probably not the good time, not a good time for them, um, not a good time to have a discussion like this. You want to be able to um, have them focus on what's going on in the discussion, and you may need to let them process. Again, it's okay to to have a conversation and come back to it a little bit later. So you you know I can see that this conversation is is really making you upset. Um, why don't we table it for the day? Um, we can pick this up tomorrow. Uh, you know, I've done that a couple of times, and, it, and it's, it's actually allowed them to kind of think about things, um, both me um, and the other individual, and and really not get it to a place where you're yelling and screaming and shouting and and, and whatnot. And having difficult conversations requires practice. Um, this is something that we, you know, you can take many, many classes on difficult conversations, but unless you're actually practicing it and doing it on a frequent basis, um, there's gonna be difficult, man. You know, these are some of the toughest things that I've had to face personally as a leader. Um, I like to think I'm getting better, and just when I think I'm getting better at them, I have that one case where it's absolutely horrible, um, but they do take practice, and, and you have to wanna work at it. Um, and then again, you want to get to what the real issue is. So we're getting near the end. Um, one of the things that, one of the things that I, I, this is just a fantastic quote and it's from Douglas Stone. Um, he says that there is no such thing as a diplomatic hand grenade. And I did find a flowered hand grenade on the internet. Um, but, you know, and it's, it, it's kind of cool. So delivering a difficult message is like throwing a hand grenade. Coated with sugar, 
thrown hard or soft, a hand grenade is still going to do damage. Try as you may, there's no way to throw a hand grenade with tact or to outrun the consequences. And keeping it to yourself is no better. Choosing not to deliver a difficult message is like hanging onto a hand grenade once you've pulled the pin. I think when, we talk, when we're talking about difficult conversations, I think that quote kind of sums it all up. Um, they are difficult. They're called difficult conversations for a reason. Um, they do take a lot of practice. They are stressful. And oftentimes the stress comes from preparing to have that conversation. Um, but if you prepare yourself, if, if you get to the root cause of what the issue is and follow some of the points that we outlined today, um, you know, your difficult conversations will become less difficult and uh, you'll be able to, to correct bad behavior or correct behavior that, that you don't necessarily find appropriate. And um, your, hopefully your, your frequency of difficult conversations will become less and less. Uh, and again, my information is here, um, my phone number, my email. Please feel free to reach out and call or email me um, at any time if I can ever, you know, help any of you. And uh, with that, I want to say thank you for your time this afternoon. Well, Sean, Ready for questions. Sean, thank you. I don't see any other questions. Uh, I think they've asked some good ones today. So I get, thank you from the audience side uh, for posing <clears throat> those questions to Sean. Sean, uh, I personally found your uh, session very informative, helpful, and uh, quite thought-provoking. Um, so again, I know you've got a very busy day up there, as do our listeners. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, for those of you who might recall, we had Sean on uh, once before. And Sean, <laughs> if I can indulge you, maybe at some point in the future, to have you back, if you'd be willing to do that. We'd love to have you. I think we got something scheduled in the summer. I think we have... Uh... You know uh, Q10? Yeah, you know what? I haven't looked that far ahead, but that's uh, you're absolutely right. I do recall us doing that. So, uh, Sean, we'll be back for a command performance uh, at some point this summer. So stay tuned, and we'll make sure we get all the flyers out well before that happens. Uh, but, again, Sean, thank you. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I wish you and all the folks who joined us today well. It's a challenging time in our country and in this world. And uh, hopefully all of us will in the end, uh, regardless of, of who you are, where you live, what faith you are, what country you're from, hopefully we'll all get through this and uh, be able to lead normal lives moving forward. So this has been a welcome break for me. Uh, and I think it's also been a welcome break from some of the craziness and madness that's going on out there. So again, Sean, uh, my thanks to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. All right. Well, listen, everybody have a great day. We will be converting this over to a podcast. Uh, we'll have it up on our board and caller EMS uh, uh, podcast here in the next couple of days. Sean was gracious, gracious enough to let us do that. Uh, so feel free to download it or encourage your friends to take a listen uh, as well to lots of good information. So with that, I'll again say thanks to everybody. And hey, Be safe out there.